Welcome to another edition of our Monday night special uh, classes that we have here in Ohel Yaakov. Winter edition, Old Man Winter is back. And uh, you get extra credit tonight for making it out to attend this class. You won't regret it because I did come to say a big hadush. So if you're here, consider yourself lucky. <clears throat> so if you realize that uh, oh, this class is going to be studied uh, for the Le'ilun uh, Shmat Julie Bat Zakiyah, generous donation was made by Mr. Alan Brown, and uh, therefore we'll have this class in memory of Julie Bat Zakiyah. I'm sure you uh, are aware already by now that on Shabbat we had a double header. We had two parashiyot. We had parashat Shimini, which was then followed by parashat Para, which is the story of the holy cow. That's the uh, rare red cow. Maimonides says that till now there's only been nine of them. He predicts that when Mashiach comes, the tenth and final red cow will be revealed. And then <clears throat> that'll usher in the messianic uh, moment. But until then, we wait patiently. That's the cow that they burn into ash. They mix it with special waters. They take a hyssop. And they sprinkle those in need for purification, those that came in t- contact with corpse tum'ah. <clears throat> That's tum'at met. The only way to get rid of corpse tum'ah is by getting sprinkled on the third and the seventh day of a process. And uh, this is the law uh, that we studied. Now my contract obligates me to come, uh, my, my contract does not obligate me to come here Monday nights at all, so this is just done with the generosity of Mahadas, you know. <clears throat> but in Brooklyn, I have a much more stricter contract and they mandate for me on Shabbatot to say some inspiring words about the Perashah. But nowhere in my contract does it say that I have to connect the two parashiyot, if indeed there's two parashiyot. That is not my responsibility. Uh, I could either speak about Shemini or I could speak about Shabbat Para. I spoke to my lawyers uh, as well, and they say that I'm fine, I'm in the clear, nobody can have any claims against me if I speak about one of the two parashiyot. <clears throat> However, as you know me being a man that likes to do more uh, than uh, he's asked to do, I'm not a nine to five guy, so therefore, <clears throat> things allow me today to attempt to connect the two parashiyot, to connect parashat shemini to parashat para, I think there's an obvious connection, which I'll tell you right off the bat, which I think you can figure out you don't need me for, and then I'd like to tell you the more subtle connection, which to me is the big hadush. Let's go to parashat shemini. Parashat shemini is the eighth day. That's the eighth day after the seven preparatory days where they were preparing the Mishkan for opening day. And then finally on the eighth day, the Mishkan was open. Most of the rabbis say it was Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The anniversary of that will be the Shabbat. And Aharon was inaugurated to be the first Kohen Gadol. But the first order of business was they had to bring inaugural sacrifices. And the first sacrifice that God tells Aharon to bring is Egel ben Bakar lehatat. You need to bring a sin offering, and the sin offering has to be an egel. An egel is a calf. Now, when you hear the word egel, there's only one thing that comes to your mind, and that is, of course, heta egel. And the Rashi right away jumps on that and says, because Aharon did have some innocent hand in heta egel, therefore he needed an atonement. So, therefore, he cannot become <coughs> the Kohen Gadol until. The Chet Egel is behind them. So how do you get atonement for Chet Egel? You bring an Egel. Egel the Hatat. An Egel to atone for the Chet Egel. And that was the first move that was done by Yom HaShemini. So the theme of the beginning of the parasha is Kapara for Chet Egel. Go now to Parashat Para. Now when you hear the word Para, that's also a cow. And the rabbis come along and tell us, Rabbi Moshe Darshan, that one of the uh, functions of para aduma is let the mother come clean up the mess of her child. Now the child of the para is what the egel, and therefore somehow para aduma serves as kapara 
Now let this cow atone for that cow. And therefore both parashiyot primarily are talking about tikkun and kapara v'etayigit. Now, you don't got to be a magician to do what I just did, by the way. <clears throat> That's the easiest card trick in the book. I saw the word Egel, I saw the word para. It's an easy connection. It's quite obvious. And none of our members came all the way out for that. That you can get at the 99 cent store. That's on the shelf. That's goods that are available and accessible <clears throat> to all. However, I'd like to produce something from the back room that is under the counter that might not be uh, available to all our members. But just in order to make the deras rich, I'll, I'll make an observation. If you open up Parashat Para, it's in Hukat, by the way. By the Ber Adonai Moshe Ve'laharon Nemor, Zot Hukat HaTorah Shisim HaShem Nemor, the Ber Bnei Yisrael, speak to the Jewish people, V'yikhu Elecha Para Aduma. God tells Moshe, take for yourself, take to you para aduma. And when I saw the word elecha, the para aduma doesn't belong to Moshe. The para aduma belongs to the people. So what does it mean over that God's telling Moshe, let them bring to you a para aduma. The para aduma is not Moshe's property. The para aduma belongs to all. So what is this word elecha? If I was writing the pasuk, I would have written v'yikru para aduma. Take a paraduma. I'll tell you the way I thought. My first thought was, we had this already in Parashat Tetzaveh, if you remember. Exactly. When God was telling them to get the raw materials for the Mishkan, the Pasuk says, Take for yourself, Moshe, Shemin Zayed Zach, olive oil. And if you remember at the time we asked, <clears throat> what do you mean the olive oil is not Moshe's? The olive oil belongs to the Mishkan. And we presented to you the Ramban's opinion that said that Shemin Zayed Zach has certain um, uh, qualifications to be kosher. It has to be special olive oil, it has to be first press, it cannot have any dregs in it, so it needs supervision. And therefore, bring the Shemin Zayed to Moshe for quality control. Let Moshe look at it and make sure that it's suitable for the mitzvah. He'll put, you know, it's inspected by number seven. And then they'll give it over to the Kwanim to light the menorah. So therefore, not that it belongs to Moshe, but he's the Meshkiyah. So I wanted to say the same thing over here. Para Aduma has much more qualifications than Shemin Zayed. So if Shem and Zayed Zach needs a mashkiyah, so then this needs over here a whole, uh, whole tzivet, a whole team. And therefore, God again is telling the people, let them bring the paradma first to you, and you'll scrutinize it and make sure that it's suitable for the, uh, for the mitzvah. And if it passes Moshe Rabbeinu's scrutinizing, then already his discerning eye, then give it over to the people. That's a simple explanation. And I have a precedent. I'm using the Ramban in Parashat Tetzaveh to answer the Elecha in Parashat Hukat. It's nice. It's clean. I also came across an opinion of the Maharal. I'd like to introduce the Maharal and flavor it with the Arizal. Again, I'm adding my own flavoring, my own seasoning with the Arizal. It's a beautiful Mixture, Maharal and Arizal, two of the greats. So Maharal comes along and says, as most of you know, that the reason for para aduma is elusive, which means it is unknown. Even the wisest of all men, Shilomo, Hamelik, who had the highest IQ, surrendered when it came to para aduma, he waved the white flag. And he said, It is beyond me. Now, if it's beyond the scope of Shalom, finish. That means it's inexplicable. However, the Maharal does tell us that there was one man that did know the secret of the Paraduma, and that's Moshe. Moshe knew it. God gave it to Moshe. And this is a unique law. I don't think there's a law like this of its kind. 
that Moshe heard something from God, but was not allowed to disclose it to the people. Which is the only thing that Moshe Rabbeinu held under his hat. Everything else in the Torah is by the Adonai and Moshe, the more. Gotta give it over. Here, the people ask Moshe, do you know the reason? Yes. Could you tell us the reason? No, I'm not allowed. Zero disclosure. So therefore, when Moshe Rabbeinu made the first parah, he gave it over to Aaron and to the people that were involved in it, but they were making it without knowing the kabbalah. Now the Arizal says, the Arizal says something amazing. The Arizal says that when we pray, the Amidah, let's say, the men of the great assembly, they put kabanot in the Amidah, a lot of kabanot, a lot of different interpretations and different meanings. If you look at the tour in Halchot Tefillah, even how many words are in each beracha are significant. Even how many words? There was a reason for it. And the Rashi Tevot, and the Sutufet Tevot, and the Nekudot, everything that they did was signed and numbered. Problem is with us, we have a hard time even having a basic understanding, let alone having a deeper understanding, let alone concentrating at all. Acham Baruch Alam my rabbi, the founding rabbi of our great synagogue. In Magen David, many times when we would finish the Amidah's kids, he would come to us and say, Baruch Haba. And we would tell him, Baruch Haba, you went to Miami in the Amidah, then you went to Aruba, then you went to Deal for the sun. You went around the world and back. You have to say, Gomel, because you prayed the Amidah, because our minds wandered. So therefore, the Arizal said that before you pray, you make what's called Gilui Da'at, and it's in the Sidurim. It says, I am now about to pray. Exactly. And although I don't know the Kabbalah, I am connecting to the Kabanot of the Achikris, the Gedolah, to the Bishawan Bar Yuhai and his son, to the Kabanot of the Ariza, to the Kabanot of the Bahaim Vital, to Muharhu, and all the great Siddiqim that knew what they were doing. So listen, we don't know what we're doing, but we want to, whatever they had in mind, you know, on them, plug us into them. We want to have Kabanah with, and it, it does something, which is so long as you're praying Al Da'at, you're praying that our Tifidah should follow the same pathways that they paved already, we don't know the road. So and the Tifilah's got to take a road. So we tell God, let it follow the road of the, the men of the great assembly that they came before us. That enough, the admission that you're saying that somebody else was wiser than you and knew it, and that you want to be in their footsteps already is, is valuable. So therefore, it goes like this. Says the Maharal, and I quote, that's why the pasuk comes along and says, which means anytime somebody's going to take the para aduma, they have to say we're taking it because we'll do the action, but we don't know what to think. So therefore, when they take it, they take it elecha. They always have to trace it back to you, Moshe, and say, who's the only one that understood what he was doing. So therefore, that's the elecha. When they take it, it has to be beautiful interpretation of elecha. And that's uh, 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 the second interpretation that we said. I'd like to offer you what the Siftah HaKamim says. He also dealt with this. Now he's dealing with the Rashi. Now Rashi even doubles down on this Elecha business. He says Rashi v'yikru Elecha le'olam hi nikret al shemecha that the para will always be called on your name. Para she'asa Moshe b'midbar. Unbelievable. She's telling us that it's more than just Elecha. You know, take it for you. It's that Moshe Rabbeinu gets the brand, the copyright, and the trademark of para. It's not kopara aduma anymore. It's unbelievable. This is, this is, this is which means, imagine they sold the name. Imagine this is, uh, like we sell Petihata Echa. Who wants the rights to para aduma? Now, they didn't bid it. They gave it to Moshe. They said, you know what? We're going to attribute to Moshe Rabbeinu. We're going to, like they call the Nobel Peace Prize. They named the Peace Prize after the Nobel. Okay, for some reason, this guy got his echut, 
every peace prize that was given, including to Yasser Arafat, is called Nobel, after Nobel. Okay, he has a zechut. So similarly, the Havdil, of course, similarly, but the Havdil a million times over, when they want to give a name, Paraduma, you got to put a name before that. So you know what they're going to call it? The Paraduma of Moshe. She tell you, he gets the, the brand. It's the Parad Moshe. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. You want to tell me the first para is named after Moshe? He was there. Maimonides writes, I have a copy of the Rambam over here. I brought it with me. Hilchot para aduma. In Peregimal Halakha Dalet, Harambam writes that altogether, Tesha parot adumot naasu. From the first para till the end of the second beta Mikdash, nine para adumas, parot adumot, if you want to be technical. Rishona asa Moshe Rabbeinu. She did the first one. Shiniya asa Ezra. Ezra Sofer. So I have no, and then the rest were done after Ezra. I have no problem. You want to call the first para, para Toshel Moshe? You got to give it to me. You want to call the second one? You got to call the second one Paratoshin Ezra. No, we're going to call the second one Paratoshin Moshe. Hey, what's going on over here? We gave you what? Hey, he gets the whole category. And now he gets the whole category. It's a lifetime uh, contract. Which means it's grandfathered in that no matter how long you bring Paraduma, you can't change the name. It's called Paratoshin Moshe Rashi. Le'olam hi nikret al shemecha. Le'olam. And I'm asking... A simple question. What's going on over here? It's a simple question. <laughs> so I go to the Siftah HaChamim. Siftah HaChamim comes along and says a big Hiddush. He says, and Maimonides backs it up. And he says, you know, when they made the first Paraduma, Moshe Rabbeinu took the ashes, mixed it in the waters, and everything was fine. But they put some also in storage. So they were in the Smithsonian, they put some ashes in storage, and this is special para aduma ashes of the original Moshe's. And what did they do with it? Says the Tahakamin, Rotselomar, Bechol Parot Hayusirichim Learev me parashil Moshe. In every subsequent para aduma, they had to sprinkle some of the original flavor. Of the original para into the subsequent para todumot. And I saw this, I went out of my mind. I said, what are you talking about? Secret ingredient? Since when is now a, a, a new halakha? The Torah doesn't tell us this. Torah tells us, take a para, burn it into ash, add water. Now, Siftachim says, yeah, but uh, only Coca-Cola has a secret ingredient. Para has got a secret ingredient also. You got to add in every para... Ashes of Moshe. And that's why he says, the Pasuk says, It's always going to be called the para of Moshe because you're always going to have a presence in every single para. Now, I thought, eh, it's a nice thing. you know. It's like, you know, nostalgia. You know, some guys, they can't get out of the 1950s. Oh, nostalgia. You got to connect. Okay, we're putting a little piece of Moshe Rabbeinu. But he says, no. He then writes, that's the way the para becomes Kodesh. Ve'ilav hache. If you don't put Moshe Rabbeinu's para ashes in it, pesula. Wow. Wow. Pesula meaning it's invalid. That means it's not just a nice item. Like we said, zecher, machazit ha-shekel, zecher le-orban, zecher le-para. No. It's ma'akev. And if you don't add the secret ingredient of Moshe Rabbeinu's ashes to the subsequent parot adumot, Hence, the Sefer Achimim is saying, okay, because the Moshe doesn't have a presence in the Pefer Para, it's not kosher. So we have three distinct explanations of Elecha. I will review them quickly. Rabotai. The first Elecha we said, what is for Kashrut reasons? Bring it to Moshe so he can inspect it like he inspected the oil to make sure that it is valid for usage. Second interpretation, that when they take the paraduma, 
they have to take it al da'at Moshe, Elecha, because Moshe was the only one that understood the Kabanot. So therefore, every paraduma has to be taken al da'at Moshe, and the third interpretation that every paraduma actually had a piece of the paraduma of Moshe, so therefore, they will not be created al shemega because you have the secret ingredient. So far, so good? Oh, it's somewhere hidden in the Harav, there's a team, how does the team somewhere? It's hidden. Yeah, maybe there's a Fatah Heritage Museum has it. <laughs> but the point is, we got to hear Joe sit. I think he's got. I think Joseph's got a, a piece of it. I think Joey has a piece of it. He might have the tenth paradigm also, by the way. In any event, exactly. So anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Now that I have the the table set correctly, now we can begin tonight's. We can begin tonight's dirasha. All that I told you now is what's been said in the books. Now I'm going to offer what I came what I came to talk about. What I found over here is a certain episode in the Torah. We all read it. We don't skip it. I mean, we read the Torah every year, but I don't think we appreciate what exactly happened over here in this story. I don't think it's understood correctly, and I'm not saying anything from the Kabbalah. I'm reading what they taught us in third grade. Humash Rashi. There's no tricks over here where you can come, hey, it's a this is Humash Rashi. So I know the Midrash police is out, but you can't hold me with a Midrash tonight. I'm giving you Humash Rashi. Even the, even the biggest wise guy cannot argue with Humash Rashi, correct? Okay, good. Now look what I'm telling you. So the Jewish people do the Egel. The Egel, the Zesna. They do the Egel, Ya Aram. God is so angry that God comes to Moshe and says, Atim Am Kisheorif. You know, you people are stubborn. Rega Ehad. God says to Moshe, you know how long I need to eliminate? I need a second. Putin couldn't do it in a month. Olam <laughs> says, I need a second. Give me one second, I eliminate the whole nation. I'm going to make a new startup nation for Moshe. V'chiditicha. Finish, v'chiditicha, eliminate. Anyway, the Torah says, Moshe Rebbe obviously prayed to God, and that didn't happen, but the Jewish people were on a low level. They had crowns of glory from Har Sinai. The Pasuk says, They had to forfeit the crowns of light that they had. So they went from a highest level, to the highest level to the lowest level. So we call that in the, uh, you know, in the rehab world, rock bottom. They went all the way to the bottom. Now, tell me how you learned this Pasuk. Moshe, what did Moshe do? After Chet he took the ohel, the ohel. Ohel means a tent. And he put his ohel outside the camp. How much outside the camp? Far from the camp. And he called this ohel, ohel moed, tent of meeting. And anybody that is anybody that wanted to call out to God and ask God, he would go to this new tent. Now I'm going to ask you, and the scene right behind you, if you can bring me a Mikraot Gedolot Shemot as well. There I need to show you something, but what's going on? What, what, what oil did Moshe take? And he moves it outside the Mahane, far away. What is this talking about? So that she comes along and says, Umoshe, me'oto avon bahala. Thank you. From the sin of the eagle and on, yikahata ohil. Which ohil did he take? His ohil. Where he lived? Moshe Rabbeinu used to live in the community. He used to live with the people. And all of a sudden, after Chetta Egel, you see the moving trucks in front of Moshe Rabbeinu's tent, and Moshe Yekahata Ohel, he takes all his belongings, all his possessions, and he's gone. Where's he gone? So that she says, He moved away from you. Different zip code. Why? Where are you moving, Moshe? Amar. Listen, 
The Jewish people are officially excommunicated. God just said, give me a minute, a second, I will liberate them. That means God says, I don't want to know from these people. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, they are excommunicated to the Rav. So they must be excommunicated to the student as well. I'm the student of God. And therefore, if God has nothing to do with them anymore, I am not any better. I must follow the suit of God. And therefore, it's much easier. Instead of telling them to move, you stay. I'm going to get out. And then Moshe Rabbeinu moves away from the community. How far did he move? Now normally, normally Nidui is for Amot. So long as you're eight feet away, you're considered out of the territory. It's like a restraining order. It's uh, eight feet. However, that she says over here, Al-Hek, Al-Payim Amma. Wow. Al-Payim Amma, let's argue for a minute, a mile. Anyway, the guy's living in Sharei Sion. He moves to Beit Torah. Different neighborhood. Different neighborhood. Wow. That's not what the deal. No, no, don't get rash. Don't get crazy. Move to WJ. Okay, that's, that's uh, you know, that's enough of Hadush. But the point is, yeah, but the point is, could you imagine what's going on over here? And now if anybody, and he named the new tent, his house, he gave it a nickname, the tent of meeting. Anybody wants to have a meeting now with God, you come to the tent of meeting, you meet Moshe, Moshe, the liaison, no longer you're going to have this go down the block. The rabbi lives on the, you know, on the same street. Like Rabbi Kassin, I'm used to on East Third Street. You saw him walking to school every day. in the community. Now you don't have that, you don't have that advantage. Chabaruk was on his fifth. You don't have that advantage anymore. Now you want to go see the rabbi? Oh, you got to make a trek. Moshe Rabbeinu leaves. Now I saw on this one of the most fascinating Targum Yonatan bin Oziens. Because... He adds more to this, to this story. I'm reading in chapter 33. And it's uh, Pesukim over here, uh, 8 and 9. Look at the Targum, what he says. Aramaic, I'll paraphrase. Umoshe, nesibunun utmidinun bemashkan ulpan uraita. Ufarsele and he pitches his tent mebara, bara, bara meaning outside. The from the camp. Arhikiate he distanced min mashriyat from the camp. Amad deit nidun because they were in nidui teren alfin amin two thousand amah. And he named it Mishkan Betul Panada, the place of learning. You want to come to learn? You come to Moshe's tent. Now watch this. This, I'm telling you, I, when I saw this, I'm going to say something that's going to sound offensive. Please do not take it uh, uh, you know, the way I'm going to say it, please. I'm apologizing for playing <laughs> Anybody that wanted to make Teshuvah, meaning repentance, Beleb Shedim, meaning wholeheartedly. Kodam Hashem. Habad nafik lemashkan betulpena. You went to this tent, the mebara lemashlita that was outside the camp. Modeh al chobeh. And you confess the sin to Moshe. Umatzlein, you make a prayer. Umishtabekle. And what does Moshe Rabbeinu say? You are exonerated. Abotai. I'm reading this Targum Yonatan bin Oziel and I'm going out of my mind. I cannot refrain myself, but this sounds like Sunday morning at the, uh, at the booth. What, what, the business, what kind of business is over here? Where do we ever see in Judaism anybody that wants to make Teshuvah? You go to the rabbi and you confess your sins to Moshe and Moshe in the middle makes a prayer and then says... Next online. The world's going on over here. This is not our tradition. Which means, you turn to God. God is our forgiver. Since when over here do we have such a uh, such a Newman hag? So he opened up shop now. He opened up a shop outside the camp and uh, you put a sign over here, come, we give me hilab. It was once a... Uh, you know, the priest, he sits behind the, the curtain, they come and confess Averot. 
there was a Jewish guy there, and uh, you know, he wants to learn the business. <laughs> so he tells his friend, the priest, can I sit next to you? I want to learn how this uh, works over here. Maybe I'll do my own uh, action. So it's very simple. The first guy comes and says, you know, my, I made Avira. How, how many times you make the Avira? He says, once. Once, that's uh, $100. He puts $100 under the thing over there. The guy makes sure it's counterfeit. Check it's real. Okay, just make a couple of berachot. Next guy comes. He says, listen, uh, my the priest, I made two Averot. Two Averot, it's $200. He gives him $200. He gives him a Mishaberach. And he gives him, uh, you know, Kapara. So the priest turns to the rabbi, you're understanding the system? Yeah, one more. This time I get the, the, you know, the math of it. The next guy comes along, he says, I did three Averot. Three Averot, $300. Bingo, I take it over there. So now the rabbi says, uh, all right, I think I got it. Let me, let me try over here. The next guy comes along and says, uh, listen, I did four Averot. The rabbi says, give me $1,000. <laughs> the priest says, what are you doing? He says, yeah, six credit. <laughs> He's one of the way to the day, based on one six, I think a thousand dollars a day, you have more, you take it, give him credit. <laughs> the rabbi already figured out how to make more flutes around. So anyway, but what's going on over here? Moshe Rabbeinu is now receiving <clears throat> confession. And the Targum says, Man de hadar beti ufteh. Somebody wanted to make this Uvah, Belev Shalem. Modeh al Hobeh, Modeh, he confesses on his, on his iniquity. Umatzlein, he makes a prayer. Umishtabiklech. Shock. You know, every week I tell you that there's a paper that falls down from the Shamayim, which becomes the, the key and the, and the key of the whole class, which is the master key. That paper that fell this week is right over here. It is the paper. Look at this. No, 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 no. I haven't had a ball. Oh, right now. Now, I'll tell you what this paper is. There was a great rabbi called the Hasid Ya'abetz. Hasid Ya'abetz is Sephardi, Spain, during the time of the Inquisition, student of Don Isaac Abarbanel, Married the sister of Rabbi Yitzhak Arama, who's the Akedat Yitzhak, one of the great Jewish philosophers. Real, you know, Sephardi, proper. He went then to Lisbon, and then he went to, uh, to, to, to Ferreira in, uh, in Italy. He went all over. And he writes one of the most classic commentaries on Pirkei Avot. I know it's not the Pirkei Avot season yet, but when we get to it, you must... Purchase yourself with the commentary of Rabbi Yosef Ya'abetz. It is a masterpiece. And you'll see just a sampling tonight of what this great luminary from Spain was able to do on a very simple Mishnah. The Mishnah that he's discussing is in the first Perik, and it's the fifth Mishnah. The author of the Mishnah is Yosef ben Yohanan Ishirushalai. Yosef ben Yohanan ish Yerushalayim Omer, Yehi betcha bet va'ad lahachamim. Your house should be a meeting place for hachamim. The rabbi saying, listen, if the rabbis need a place to meet, the go-to place should be your house. You should always let the rabbis know, listen, maybe you need a place to meet, to convene, to discuss community matters. The rabbis don't have uh, big uh, spacious homes. They need a nice place, good lighting, good amenities, and so on and so forth. So you should be the, always the guy to say, Hacham, whenever you need a place to meet, you come to my house. There's a beracha. Then the Mishnah says, You should always sit by the feet of the Tabi Hachamim, which means serve them and treat them with the right respect, and you should drink with thirst their words. So there's three parts of the Mishnah, or two parts. One is saying you should always invite Hachamim to your house, and the second is, make sure you respect them, make sure you give them the right, you know, the right honor that they deserve. Ask the Ya'abetz, what are you talking about? You're preaching to the choir. If there's a guy that does not need to be told that he has to respect rabbis. It's this guy. He's inviting the rabbis to his house. His house is mitvah. 
You don't got to tell that guy to respect Achamim. He knows. You got to tell the other guy who tells the rabbis, I gave it the office. That's the guy you got to tell him. Why is the Mishnah in the same breath that it's telling you to be hospitable to David Achamim, which we assume if you're hospitable, you're respectable. You know, hospitality and respectability go together. Why does the Mishnah says have to tell him, don't forget to respect? You're telling me, <laughs> I'm the guy that the rabbis come to the house every single day. What are you talking about? So he introduces something that we know, an old principle that we know. And that is the concept that says familiarity breeds contempt. Now he said it before Ben Franklin, whoever said it. He's in the 1600s. Well, no, 1400s. This is the Girush. Yeah. So, so listen to what he's saying. He says, what happens with people is when you start to get familiar with somebody and you get comfortable with him, so you start to take that person or that item for granted. It's always like that. It, it, it's not only with people, it's with anything. Anything that you get used to, that becomes, you know, God forbid, a person takes his health for granted. And uh, therefore, you know, he thinks uh, that he's going to have it forever. And then when he thinks he's going to be, feel good forever. That's the nature. And then not only do we take our blessings for granted, but we take people for granted. What happens? The fact that you're so close to somebody, so then already you start to see them as regular, even though they're great people, but you eat with them, you talk to them, you joke around. Then all of a sudden, they, they, they lose their status. their status. It happens. It happens all the time. And he gives an example to show you how careful the rabbis were that you shouldn't get used to things. They didn't want you to get familiar with things because they knew what it breeds. He writes that when you entered the Beit HaMikdash, you had to enter one gate, and the rule was you must exit a different gate than you entered. You are not allowed to enter and exit the same gate in the same day. The Abed says, why not? So he says, for good reason. Ki hikpid Hashem yidbarach shelo pe'amim. That you shouldn't see the same archway twice. He'll come along and get used to it. And when you walked into the bedroom, that's the first time you saw it. You said, oh, wow, wow factor. And now when you saw it twice, all right, uh, I have an archway also in my house. You know, it's, uh, it's nice. I, it's nothing, nothing, uh, nothing so special. All of a sudden, the fact that you saw it twice, it loses its enamor. It loses its initial appeal. It loses its initial attraction. So they want to keep the wow factor and the newness and the freshness and the appeal. So what I tell you? Walk in this way, exit that way. So then it keeps the, like I said, the newness and the present. That's how sensitive this midah is. All it takes is twice to see the same thing in one day. Already, slash, 50% uh, discount. Already, it went down in your eyes by half. And the same thing is with people. And it's an amazing principle because the Tabidah Hakamim it's true with. You know, you see the Hakam once a week. I say, oh, it's Hakam, and he sits on the stage, and you have an image, and uh, so if it remains on high. Now, we don't want you to see the rabbi once a week. We want you to see the rabbi every day. But there's a disadvantage to that because then already, you know, it becomes your pal. I see him every day. I see his quirks. I see his items. He's a regular guy. He goes to the bathroom. He has a telephone. So he's not. Uh, so it loses the. Uh... I remember once I was on a Pesach trip. And I told uh, my wife, I'm going to go back to the room. It was after lunch. I'll go back to rest a little. And my kids came to the room with some of the other kids on the Pesach trip. And I was in and out of sleep. The hotel was 700 acres. They decided to play in, in my bed where I was sleeping. <laughs> but that's another discussion over there. They get to my bed to play. Anyway, I hear the kids talking to my kids and saying, isn't that the rabbi? So my kids, yeah, that's my father. He sleeps. 
<laughs> they couldn't believe it. What kind of rabbis is over here? Is the guy sleeping? They thought. This is... <laughs> I was scared to tell my eat also, by the way. <laughs> Which means there's a certain uh, image, and once you become a little familiar, so that image becomes relaxed, and therefore the challenge is not to let that happen. The challenge is, and that's the way he explains the Mishnah. That yes, the goal is we want you to be hospitable to the hachamim and we want you to have them in your house. But be careful. Because you're being hospitable and you're always having them in the house. So what happens? Rabbi comes in. You see the rabbi take off his jacket. Oh, I didn't know the rabbi wears the shirts. I didn't know he was wearing white sleeves. I never saw such a thing. And he comes and they have something to drink. They bring him a glass of coffee. He's sitting there. Mm-hmm. Also, they see he put his legs like that. Hey, he's just like us. The guy's regular guy. Now, all of a sudden... You start to become a loose. Hey, Rabbi, boom, you pat him on the back. How's things? What's going What's up? What's up? If the guy's like in the schoolyard, Sethla, what's up? So now, what happened? Because you were so hospitable, and because the rabbi is now bent by it, so now you lose some of the. Uh, exactly, some of the kavod, some of the reverence, some of the awe. So the rabbi says, your house should always be over and but be careful. Even though you're being so hospitable, or because you're being so hospitable, we got to warn you that your hospitality should not cause a familiarity that will breed contempt. Unbelievable psychology from a rabbi in the 1500s, so, so on the money. It's such a beautiful way to learn this Mishnah. But then he drops the bomb. He drops the bomb. That's, this, was, this is such a godsend. Where he says, and I'll prove it here from the Torah, from the text, this concept. He says, let me tell you something, what happened? Vezeh haya avon ma'aseh ha'egel. Now redefines to us what the het ha'egel was. Do so you know what happened? What did they want? Moshe Rabbeinu was in their miscalculation a few hours late. So what did they say? We got to replace him. We got to replace the guy. We need another leader. So if you can't get Moshe, we got a figurine. We'll make it out of gold. We'll say you are our new leader. Says the Yavetz, how do they come to such disdain? How do they come to such disrespect to Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu is the great. You know why? He says, Because he lived with the people. And he was on his third. So when you see Rabbi Kassin walking to Shadesh Shon every day, say, okay, you wait there, the rabbi. It's not a big deal anymore. Everybody else. Moshe Rabbeinu lived in the community, he says. So you see him coming home. You see him, you know, uh, taking the kids and uh, going to the store. He's a regular. So he's a rabbi. Okay, he's better than us. He's a little better than us. But he's a, listen, at the end of the day, so they got used to him. And because they got used to him living in the Mahaneh, it started, to the people, it started to lose the, the awe. But he says even worse. He says, Ad shima asubo. It breeded contempt. And they said, Aselanu Elohim. Moshe, yeah, he's a great rabbi, but you know what? He's replaceable. Nobody's indispensable. So now what happens? The Chet HaEkel had two elements here, gentlemen. Element number one is what they did to God. Hey, they came along and said, Eli Yisrael. This is your God, Israel, that took you out of Egypt. That's a sin against God. But there also was a sin against Moshe. That you come along, there's a man that did everything for you. It's a man that took you out of Egypt. The man went nose to nose against Paro for you. The man split the sea. The man's making constant miracles. Then he went up to the Shammah to bring down the Torah for you. And you were, of course, he's a few hours late according to your miscalculation. 
He wasn't late. You replace him like that with an Ega. And Moshe Rabinu understood, you know what? They got used to me. Because I'm so accessible to the people and I'm so next to the people and so close to the people and I'm living with the people. This would end up happening. So now what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? He says something amazing. Moshe felt it. So therefore what does he do? V'natano et ha'ohel mechutz l'machaneh. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I got to move out of the community for this. That was the problem with the people. Because I was so accessible and so close to them, backfired. Now Moshe Rabbeinu moves away. What was that? Listen to a story. Now Moshe Rabbeinu opens a shop a mile away from the community. And the people are shocked. Where's Moshe? No, no, no longer are you going to see Moshe every day like you used to. No longer are you going to have that accessibility. And the people came along and they said, Yeah, Haram, what did we do? What did we do? We threw Moshe, we, we pushed him away because he knew that the familiarity caused us to become Moesbo. And that's what we did. So all of a sudden, organically, something started to happen. The people started to flock to the tent of Moshe. And you know what they were doing? They were making confession. Not on any sin. And not on every sin. On one specific sin. The sin that they disrespected Moshe. One by one they came to Moshe and they said, forgive us. That sin is directed to Moshe and therefore you need to go to Moshe and ask forgiveness for that. We wanted to replace you. God says, listen, what you did to me, you got to deal with me. But what you did to Moshe, <laughs> that's Ben Adam Nachavero. I can't absolve you from that disrespect that you did to Moshe. And all of a sudden, 600,000 people, a revolving door, they go to Moshe as the Targum says, they confess their sin, they make a prayer, Moshe Rabbeinu says, who's next? And they went on and on and did this. It's an unbelievable Hadush. That means we have a new understanding of Heta Egel. Heta Egel also had an element, you neglected the rabbi. You neglected the rabbi. There's another element here that has to be mentioned. You neglected Moshe. So then you can tell God, I'm sorry, I want to Abu Dazar again. I'm good. God said, by the way, on Yom Kippur, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the second set, God said, Salahti, I'm good. But Moshe Rabbeinu says, yeah, you're good with God. But I'll see you later. I'm moving there. I'm moving, I'm moving, uh, you know, I'm moving to a different zip code. And now, right, and now the people said, oh, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. And now watch this. When did he move back? So if you look at the Pesukim, the Pesukim comes along and says, V'diber im Moshe. Now God speaks to Moshe. I'm in the Kitisa. V'diber Hashem el Moshe, Pasuk Yud Aleph. At a certain point, the Pasuk says, Veshav. He returned. And as she comes along and says, When did he return? As she says, How long did he stay outside the camp? So therefore, when did Moshe Rabbeinu move back? On the day of the inauguration of the Mishkan, which was what? And therefore, what's going on over here? What's going on over here is that when Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the Luchot, they didn't get kapara for the Egel yet. The Egel was still outstanding. Not God's part. God already said Salahti. Now you got to reconcile with the leader. 
Shereben who says, well, I know what caused this. I live too close to you. I'm moving out. The people realize that that's what happened. So they started to come to Moshe every day. Atati to Moshe, forgive me, Moshe. And Moshe Rabbein, of course, is Anav, no problem. And then all this was, by the way, atonement for the Egel. Because that was the sin you replaced Moshe with the Egel. And then when was it done? On the day of the opening of the Mishkan, God says, the Egel finally is complete. You have made amends with me and you have made amends with Moshe. Moshe, you can move back to the community. Therefore, there's a clear connection between para aduma, which comes to atone for the cheta egel, and because that's the day when the cheta egel sin was finally absolved. And now I understand. How para aduma atones for the Egel? I'll tell you why now. Listen how gorgeous. Because what's the claim that they had? You forgot Moshe. So God says, the para is going to be named Moshe. Because you forgot him. So therefore, you, you know how you make a tikkun? You do something that you name after him. That every time you take the para, it's paratosh el Moshe. And not only that, every para subsequently put Moshe. Because if you want to make a tikkun on the rabbi that you forgot, you must now do a mitzvah that is named after that exact rabbi. You never forget it. Imagine v'yikun elecha. Para aduma is taken for you not because you want the kabod, because they need the kapara. So it's got to be named after you, so they'll get to you. Imagine or no? Now watch how, watch how spectacular this part is. So Harambam writes, Harambam writes that the first para was done Moshe's time. And then Ezra Sofet, number two, and then another seven during the second Meta Megdash. And I ask the simple question. That means Moshe's para lasted from Midbar to the second Meta Megdash. One para. And then, second Beit HaMikdash, went berserk. You needed eight. Now, unless you tell me that there was more Tum'ah, I don't know why there was more Tum'ah then, maybe people were just uh, becoming more Tamir, so they needed more, uh, more cows. How could one cow last so long? Based on what we're saying, we have an understanding. Botai. You can't take the rabbi for granted. After Moshe Rabbeinu, Made the first para, the people repented. The people realized the Moshe Rabbeinu was great. There's nobody like Moshe. Moshe is the Mesorah, Moshe Kibbutzah Mesinai. Moshe appoints a student to Yeshua. Yeshua is considered Eved Hashem, Eved Moshe. People were in line with Moshe. After that, you had the Shofetim, you had the Melachim, but everybody's in the tradition with Moshe. As long as the people were in the tradition with Moshe, the para of Moshe existed. Came the second Beit HaMikdash, all of a sudden there was a change in Kala Yisrael. Enters a new brand of Jews. The Tzidukim and the Beit Hosim. No. You know what the Tzidukim do? They come along and say, don't tell me Moshe said this and Moshe said that. And Moshe interpreted this, Moshe interpreted that. We have our own interpretations. We are purists. Give us the text. We read it. Literal. They follow the text as it is. I, but we have a Torah Shabbat Peh. We have an oral tradition that Moshe Rabbeinu came down and brought. Give us a long... That's his opinion. We have our own, and they reinvented and they revised. What do you think? It started with the conservative and the reform? They're already, they're already late. The Tzidukim and the Baitosim were doing this in the times of the Second Temple. They presented a new religion. And you know who was missing from the religion? Moshe. No longer is it Torah Moshe. It's a new Torah. With new commentary that was never given. Moshe Kibel Torah Misirai Umesara. They broke the Mesorah. 
that golden chain that started from Moshe Tzindukim broke it. Understand? There was one time the reformers, they, they had a lot of power in the government. They would always get the Orthodox Jews in trouble. Because they were connected. So there were these old Jews, these Orthodox Jews, these guys are, uh, you know, uh, backwards and so on and so forth. So they went once to the government building and they said, listen, the king wants uh, 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 to make a debate between the Orthodox Jew and the Reform guy. So what should we do? He says, I'll give you advice, do this, 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 and go, and you'll be fine. What happened? The Orthodox Jew was told to meet in the king's palace with the Reform guy at a, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, such a time. He comes in not wearing shoes. So the reform guy right away is going to take advantage. He tells the king, you see what I'm telling you? These guys don't even have simple derich erich. They're by barbarians. The guy comes into the king for a meeting and uh, he doesn't even wear shoes. What's going on over here? So the king tells the religious what do you have to say for yourself? He says, listen, uh, my dear king, you have to know the history and then you'll understand, uh, you know, he says, you know, you read the Bible. You remember when Moshe Rabbeinu went to the burning bush? When Moshe Rabbeinu went to the burning bush, God told them to take off his shoes. He says, after he took off his shoes, and the event was over, he went to look for them, and they were gone because there was a reform guy over there, and he stole his shoes. So therefore, whenever there's a reform guy, we know we can't wear shoes. So the guy, the reform guy says, what are you talking about? There were no reformed Jews around in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, I rest my case. <laughs> He set him up. He said, there were no reformed Jews in the times of Moshe. Exactly. So you guys are the reformers, not us. We're the authentic ones. The Tzedukim came along and made a whole new pizza. They made a whole new recipe. And that recipe does not include Moshe. And therefore, it signified that already the para of Moshe in the times of the second Beit HaMikdash Already it started to dry up. It's a sign of the times. And the tikkun that the rabbis had to do in order to reinstill the tradition that every subsequent parah, they had to put some effort of parah Moshe in there. To remember that even though you're living in a new generation, the effort of parah reminds you that there's a generation that came before you. The tradition doesn't start by you. The tradition starts by the hakamim that came over. When you come in 2022, you think over here, when well, the religion is going to start, but you're going to start innovating. You know there was a rabbi Matub Abadi that came before you. You know there was a Hakam Baruch that came before you. you know, there was a Hakam Yaakov Katsin that came before you. You know there was the greats in the community that preceded you. You're going to come down and start what? Innovating and making new Hindushim over here? And therefore, it's okay. Of course, we move forward. But if you don't have a piece of the old in the new, then the new is pasul. You don't have the secret ingredient of the old ashes, then the new ashes are considered pasul and invalid. What makes the new ashes kasher is because they have a piece of the efrosh and moshe. It's true, it's new. We don't say new, of course, new. We have to be modern, things change, obviously. But those changes have to be in the spirit of the old. But if you come along and say, well, you need those old timers. But they were behind the time. Leave Moshe's ashes in the Smithsonian and we're going to make our new ingredient. Then the Seftar Hamim says, it's Pasul. And that's the connection between the two parashiyot. Both parashiyot are teaching us about kapara for the Eger. Para aduma is kapara how? By always calling the para, para toshel Moshe. You forgot Moshe, that was the sin. Now take a mitzvah and it's going to be called the mitzvah of Moshe. And is when the sin was totally absolved. That's when Moshe Rabbeinu moved back to the community. That's when he put his tent back. And that's when the people said, Moshe, we want to get close to you, but we're not going to despise you because of it. We're not going to hold it against you because you allow yourself to be so accessible. We made that mistake the first time, but now that you come back, we promise that even though we're going to be Inviting you, and our home is going to be a home of Hakamim. 
We're still going to be mitabek ba'afar v'shotem ba'tzamah. We're not going to let the familiarity breed contempt. At that point, God says, the atonement is done. Kach lecha egel ben bakal lechatat, and we'll call it a day. It's finished. This is the connection between the two parayirat son. I leave with Maimonides' final words, which are so golden. Mind you, he writes this about a thousand years ago. He says, Asirit, the tenth paraduma, Mashiach. And then he leaves with such beautiful words of anticipation. Imagine a thousand years ago he's saying, and we're still saying the same words. But guess what? We're a thousand years closer. And therefore, our Meheraya Galeh, already we can see the we can see the finish line already. Already we can start seeing the, the end of this marathon. And Bazat Hashem, they're gonna bring the tenth panah. And all these revisionists and all these wise guys, they're gonna take the effort of Moshe that's hidden on Hara Mishcha, and they're gonna bring back the old tradition of Moshe. And once they stick it in, then we're gonna have the authentic old way. Moshe kibel Torah, and then the Jewish people will move into that era of Mashiach. Meherai gale, amen kibel.